0: that you do. If you'd open it with me this morning to the book of uh, Philippians, we're going to look at verses 27 through 30 this morning. And uh, I titled this series Joy-Filled Living, obviously, as I've shared with you week in and week out, because of uh, just the backstory of it real quickly, understanding that, you know, Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison cell, looking back to the time where he was there in uh, Philippi, and he's appreciative of the ministry that the church had in his life there, and he's thanking them uh, for the most part. And here's a a little book that is only four chapters long. Like I said, of of all the books that I, I utilize as a pastor, probably in ministry, this is probably the most referenced book that I use. It just speaks pretty much to everything in life. And so in four Uh, chapters 104 verses. There's 19 verses that Paul uses, you know, that speaks of joy. And uh, again, so looking at someone who uh, has exemplified, we call him the apostle of joy, exemplified joy in his own life in the midst of tremendous circumstances and struggles. It's a great encouragement to us. And there's things that you can study, you know, anytime that you want to learn something You find somebody who's proficient in that particular area of life and you ask them questions or you examine their life, you look at them. And that's what we're doing as we study through the book of Philippians. We're looking at the apostle Paul's life and we're going, here's a guy that no matter what was happening, I mean, he just, I, I, growing up, my parents bought us, it was a, you remember the cartoon bozo? I don't know if he'd be politically correct anymore. I just, sorry if that offends somebody. I just, I'm so scared to talk about stuff anymore. I don't know. I mentioned Dr. Seuss and somebody, you know, and I, I, all I looked at was the pictures. I didn't even read the words, okay? I just, I just want you to know that. I, it was a, my, my mom's first book she read to me was Mother, you know, Are You My Mother? Do you guys remember that one? Yeah, see? Well, hey, I don't want to deviate you too far and get you away from now. You'd be Googling that on your phone while reading the book during the service. I'll be thinking that I said something that just totally spoke to you, and you're reading, you know, Are You My Mother? And just remember, just, you know, okay. So anyway, but where was I before I distracted myself? Oh yeah. Yeah. No. So I had this, my parents, you know, got me this bozo punching bag. Anybody have one of those bozo had sand in the bottom? Yeah. Yeah. A few of you, even a couple of girls. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's always fun. You know, no, but I mean, you'd hit that thing. And the funny thing was when you first were learning how to hit it, you know, you'd punch it really hard, right? And it would go down and then what would it do? It'd come back and punch you. And it was like, you know, I remember crying the first time I hit it. It was like, he hit me back. My parents were like, he doesn't have arms. How could he hit you back? And it's like, he hit me, it's his nose. It was like, because it had that really cool nose and you could just punch it in. But Paul is like that. Or how many remember Weebles? Weebles. Remember, what was the theme of a Weeble? See, and you guys, how can you say you can't memorize scripture? That thing's like, that's like, that's like 50 years old. And you go, oh gosh, that was a good one. Thanks for calling that one out, Pastor Mike. You know, no, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down, right? you go, yeah. Paul was like this. I mean, you look at his life and no matter what, I mean, and you think about, and I want you to understand this. And you might write this down because this is kind of encapsulates his whole thought is that we're not called in scripture To rejoice, you know, over our circumstances. I mean, I can look out, and some of you guys are going through really, really, really difficult things in life, and you find it hard in the midst of it to go, "Man, how do I, how do I find joy in this?" And and God's not saying that everything that you go through is going to be a joyful experience. But what He is saying is that you can find joy in the midst of it, because what you're going to discover, those of us as I share with you, every single one of us, we're either in a trial right now, right? Or we've come out of a trial or what? We're being prepared, right? To go into a trial. And those that are coming out of a trial, you've learned something that is such a blessing to you, is that God was faithful. And that no matter what you went through, no matter how deep and dark it might have been, everybody else might have walked away, but God never walked away. And, And the thing is, and there's something, though you hated it, It's kind of a love-hate thing, right? It's the best of times and it's the worst of times because you're going, man, I wouldn't have picked that. I wouldn't have chosen to go through that. But man, to go through it and to know what I know now and to be able to sit and go, and I wouldn't change a thing. And sometimes in tears because you just know the pain. And, And again, what you see is that God is just so good, that he's so faithful and that he will never leave you and that he'll never forsake you. And that's what Paul came to comprehend. That's what he came to know. Nothing could separate him from the love of God that was in Christ Jesus. He was going, absolutely nothing. And then to be able to bring that along, especially you think about ministry today. It's like I said, in the midst of whether it's COVID pandemic or the, the things that are going on in the world today that are just so confusing, they're just the topics that we've never even heard of before, that were never even a part of life, you know. And and we have this great opportunity in the midst of all this to be a light that shines in the darkness, to be able to point people to, to the one who, who's made a promise and fulfilled it, that he won't leave us, that he won't forsake us, that he's right there, that he'll walk with us every step of the way. You know, the culture might cancel you, but Jesus will never cancel you. And that's something that, you know, all of us can hold on to. And so as we look at this, I titled it this morning, The Steps to Joy from Sinner to Soldier. Because that's kind of what Paul does. I, I had to sit back and look at this and go, you know, there is, there's, I like steps for one. I like process. I, I like, you know, most of the time it's like when you think what are the differences, main difference between men and women. We walk into a room and, and women see color, but but men see shape. You know, men are, for the most part, we look at things and we go, okay, it's, this is how it is. You know, one, two, we just put, we don't necessarily get emotionally involved in it. Uh, we just look at, you know, this is the process. This is, you know, A and there is Z and we don't necessarily fill in all the gaps. And that's one of the beauties of women seeing that other side bringing It's like, you know, it's been well said that, you know, when God uh, created woman that he took the emotion from man and put it in woman and then gave it back to him as a gift. And so they worked uh, so well together here. But uh, we'll look at this and, and started in verse 27. Paul would write this in Philippians 1. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you And let's stop there and just take a moment and pray father as we study this this morning may you bring your joy into each of our lives lord may we be able to laugh even in the midst of hurt and heartache and uh, lord it's like at the death of a loved one we find ourselves in the deepest pit of pain and sorrow and yet when we recall the 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 joy of their life the the love that we shared memories and all of a sudden we find ourselves laughing. And and so much of the Christian experience is that way that we read in scripture that you are a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but yet, yet you're the one who Lord brings us joy. You're the one who really personified joy in this world. And Lord, we look to you today. God, we desire in our life. And so Lord, we desire more of you. And we pray that as we study your word today, that you'd open up our hearts and our minds to receive all that you have for us. And we love you, we bless you, and we praise you today. And we thank you, Lord, for one another today. Thank you that we could be together here in church. And may you just, uh, again, knit our hearts together in your love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, you know, as Paul looks at you know this, I mean, there's, uh, again, I, I'm always think of the concept of joy, and, and you know, people can again really confuse this. You know, we've been talking about this you know, the last few weeks with regard to happiness and joy. Remember, happiness is tied to your happenings, right? And your joy is tied directly to Jesus. We used the acrostic, you know, last week. Really, the essence of joy is is Jesus, others, and you. And we start to get that down in our life. We really do experience more joy. You know, when you think about joy, a lot of times we don't think that, uh, does Jesus desire that we have joy in our life? You know, and obviously he does. I shared this with you last week in John chapter 15 and verse 11, you know, where I said, Jesus speaking to his disciples. He said, these things I've spoken unto you, that your joy may be full. I mean, he wants our joy to be full this morning. And I like that. I like the fact that uh, we have a God that wants us to experience joy in this life the difference is, is what you know what the world thinks joy is and what jesus says joy is and that's kind of what you know i really want to walk through with you today because it is the process the steps to a deep and lasting joy you might say it starts as a sinner and ends up as a soldier you know it's this process that god takes us through to really experience a deeper sense of joy in even in our lives you know if if the disciples and you think about this. If the disciples hadn't seen Jesus laugh and they hadn't seen joy in his life, they wouldn't have understood or you know what he even meant by it. They had to see it. and that's one of the things that in conversations I'll have with people since we've started this study, they go, you know, I, I don't I don't see where you know Jesus never told the joke. You know, well, we don't know that he told the joke. He might have told he probably did tell jokes. It's just not in scripture. It wasn't, it wasn't useful in the sense for our salvation. And and again, what we have in Scripture, John writes, are all the things that are essential for me and you to understand salvation and to understand God's love for us as it is personified in Jesus Christ. When Jesus would say, again, if you've seen me to Philip, he said, you know, you've seen the Father. Remember this, and I, I shared this with you, you know, week one, and I keep having to remind people each week as we pray, you know, joy cannot be found by direct pursuit because that's what that's the problem of the world the world is looking you know for joy like you know it's at the end of the, the rainbow it's the pot of gold but true joy cannot be found by direct, direct pursuit it's a byproduct of a relationship with Jesus Christ and that's really the first step and i think that's where people miss it uh, that you can't you can't bypass the first step in experiencing joy in your life because it comes by the way of what salvation you might write that down number 1 is salvation if you're going to live a, a joy-filled life, you've got to receive Christ Jesus as your personal Savior. It, it won't happen any, any other way. Like I said, it's a it's a byproduct. You know, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we read, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's long suffering, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. It says, against such there is no law. You know, Christians by nature, I mean, I'm talking about their new nature, are joyful people. And you go, why? How many are happy that your sins are forgiven today by a show of hands? Does that bring joy to your life to know that, yeah, you know, my sins are forgiven. Those that clap, they understand. They go, you know, I've had a, you know, it ain't like I just had a couple, right? It's like, man, and to know that your slate has been washed clean, right? That you are sanctified, you are justified and ultimately to be glorified because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If, if that doesn't bring you joy, there's really nothing in this life that will. I mean, to fully, to comprehend that, that we deserve hell, right? That we have earned, not, not just deserve it, we have earned the right, the wages of sin is death. We have earned the right to die, but God has given us life in his son. You think about that. Wow. That we have a father in heaven who cares about us. That even before we're praying, he already knows what we have need of. Isn't that, Does that bring you joy to know that your heavenly father knows what you have need of? We get mad at people all the time, unmet expectations, right? They should have known. They didn't do this. And we're not God. But God knows exactly what you need. And even before you're praying, he's already answering those things. You know that every answered prayer comes from the heart of God. He already knows what you have need of. That should bring us joy when we think. And that's again, what Paul is reminding us why I love this book so much because we have to pull ourselves back. We live in a world that's pulling us down when God is trying to pull us up. And so to look to him, to know that you have a, a place being prepared for you in heaven, does that bring you joy today? I mean, to think that, you know, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And when it's ready, you know, if you guys weren't so picky, he would have come and got you a long time ago. But, you know, you just, when you think about it, you go, why, why, why hasn't he come? You know, it's like, oh gosh, look, he knows you. You'll be in there going through everything. Well, why is this sitting over here, right? You know, so he's, he's going to have it perfect. Everything will be perfect, prepared for you when, when this life is over, right? We sang that last week, I'll fly away. When this life is over, there's something for you to be doing right now. There's something for me today. There should be joy in that. We're not just here by accident. We're here on purpose. We're here by design. Philippians 4.4 4 says, rejoice in the Lord how often? Sunday, All right. No, it says always. And again, I say what? Rejoice. Yeah, that's a, that's a cosperism. He, he sings that. He says it all the time. You know, again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And you think about what are the the causes for our joy to be taken from us? When you think about the number one cause. You probably you probably agree with this: disobedience to God, right? Sin. Our joy is like a balloon. It's just boom, it's popped when we, when we sin. Remember this, you know, in Psalm fifty-one, twelve, David, when he was confessing his sin with Bathsheba to the Lord, he said, "Restore unto me what." The joy of thy salvation. See, our salvation should be the source of our joy. Like I said, just to go back to that, you know, if if we got what we deserve, right? If we if we could, when we're complaining and and our joy is gone, if we could just go back in our heart and our mind, if we all got what we deserve, we know what it would be. And so that that in the sense can shake us out of that, and you go, yeah and so that's the beauty of fellowship is to remind us and not just go hey you know what um, you're being self-centered there you know we, we all can be self-centered but it, the key is just to help each other get off of being self-centered to being god-centered and when you become god-centered you'll become other-centered automatically because to love god with all of your heart mind soul and strength the natural outgrowth of that will be to love your neighbor as yourself you don't even have to it's not striving again joy cannot be found by direct pursuit it's a byproduct and so is loving people, so is loving God. As you seek him, that just naturally begins to occur. Psalm 32, it's a great psalm to go back and study in your own life. If you're getting to a place where you, Mike Eckerson and I were talking about this, just in how in Recovery 180, a lot of times, you know, the, the struggle that people have is that their their conscience you know, is so bothering them. They can't sleep at night. You know, they, they'll turn back to you know, alcohol or drugs or anything else because, you know, they're they're struggling with God and disobedience to him. And then trying to, instead of coming to God and confessing that, knowing that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, what do they do? You're fighting that just like David, right? He didn't want to confess that sin. And then he says, what happened? He says, my bones began to ache. If you, has your body ever hurt before because you wouldn't t- repent and turn back to God? Yeah. I mean, it can age. Have you ever seen somebody who's really young and looks really old, you know? I mean, don't look around. I mean, <laughs> whatever you do, do not look around. But I mean, you just look and you go, wow. And you maybe have said that. You remarked to your husband or your wife and you go, wow, look, man, they, they look old. And they're really young. It's one thing if you're old and you look old, but if you're, you know, I mean, but if you're young, you go, it's because it's a natural process of life, obviously, eventually to look old. I mean, you can only, you can only, you can only go to the, you know, the doctor so many times, you know, you'll see it, you know, and you go, wow. It's like, you go, it's, it's part of aging, but I'm talking about premature. I'm talking about due to the stress and the strain of, of disobedience and sin in our life, where it just wears you out. I mean, you are so, so fatigued and so tired and you look at all the things that we deal with today in counseling and you can kind of go right back to that and you go, really? You know, because I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say, did the apostle Paul have a lot of energy for God? You go, yeah. And, and again, to be filled with the spirit. That's why you could say when I'm weak, I'm what? I'm strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, I can do nothing. Jesus said apart from him, but I can do everything because why he provides the power. He provides the strength for us to do it. I mean, you've all surprised yourself at some point, you know, that you go, man, I remember, you know, we've had meetings where we've gone into the next day, right? And you're talking about ministry, you're praying and just, I mean, it's so exciting. The next thing you, know, you go, guys, it's like 3.30 in the morning, you know, we got to go home. We got to get up and go to work, you know, the next day. And this is before, you know, we worked at the church where you can go, oh, I'll just come in later. This is like, you know, where you had to get up and be at work at eight o'clock in the morning. And then being scared to death, you know, at 7.30 thinking I'm going to pass out at work today and everybody's going to get mad. And then to have all this whole day just go through and you're just like on a cloud with energy and you're just going, God, I can't believe you just got me through the whole day. I mean, like on fumes, that's exciting. It's kind of like, have you ever got close to the end of your gas tank and you're in, you think, man, I'm going to run out of gas. I'm going to run out of gas. And it's just like, and you're praying like, God, please, 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 please. And you make it right like one time I was going to Hanford to speak at Calvary Chapel Hanford and I forgot my wallet. And uh, I got there and I pulled into a gas station because I needed gas. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like 30 something miles from Hanford, 40 miles from Hanford. And I was thinking, so I called him, I go, you might need to come look for me on the road between here, the 99 and Hanford. And like, okay. I mean, I've prayed hard about a lot of things in life, but I don't think I've ever prayed as hard as I was praying. I mean, I was I was close to perspiring blood. I mean, it was like—I mean, seriously. I mean, I was just like—I was—I was nervous. I mean, it's like—and I made it to this. I have no idea. I mean, that thing was pegged in the red. And then, fortunately, you know, after I got done, this pl- nice police officer who was at the church there—he—he he filled my tank up with gas and and uh, gave me a police escort at a high speed uh, down uh, down the road. You know, because they can do that. You know. As long as you're following him, not, i not, I really wanted to be in front of him with the lights behind me, but knowing that he was actually with me, I thought that would have been, thats kind of a dream. right no, I'm not. <laughs> But Psalm 32 is what I wanted to share with you. Psalm 32. And you just, you can highlight it and go study it for yourself. But David would say, he goes, my bones, they, they waxed within me. They, they hurt. They just literally, his body hurt because he wouldn't repent. And if that that explains where you're at today in your journey of faith, man, I just want to encourage you, you know, give up, surrender, bring it to God. He'll take he he'll take that pain. And it's so refreshing. And and David experienced it. Paul experienced it. You've experienced it. I've experienced it. When you think about a text in scripture, you know, another favorite particular story probably of yours is, is mine is, you know, from Luke chapter 15, the story of the, the prodigal son or, you know, first the, the lost coin and the lost sheep and then the lost son, right? That whole chapter is about what? It's about joy. It's about rejoicing. Rejoicing over what? Over a sinner, a sinner who repents, you know, scripture says, you know, those are all pictures or portraits of that, something that was lost and then it was found. And then a rejoicing that takes place. And then not just a rejoicing, but a celebration. And that celebration, especially where? In heaven. The Bible says that the angels of heaven, they do what? They rejoice over what? Over one sinner who repents. Man, we could each be cause for a celebration in heaven today. And I don't necessarily mean for the person who just comes to to Jesus. I mean, the son who was lost was already a son, but he did what? He went away and then he came back. You could be saved today and still... Bring about rejoicing in heaven. Maybe there's just something in your heart today that you've been holding on to for a long, long time, and God's going, I want you to give that to me. I, I want I want to replace that, that pain with my joy. And sometimes, and this is the weird thing, you know, you have to be psychology 101 here, is that we tend to hold on to things because even though we know they're bad, they're familiar. Sometimes we're so scared of the future. You know, because to to honor God, you know, Hebrew says to really bless him and to magnify him is to do what? Is to walk by faith. He said, you know, that which is not of faith is sin. You know, God's a rewarder of those who come to him and believe him and trust him. And today you can, you can honor God and you can glorify God by bringing those pains to you. And so it starts by, you know, Paul recognizes this, that it starts as you're a sinner. And that joy is when you get saved, when you come to God. That's the first step. And if you haven't taken that step, man, you can do it right now. You can pray in your heart. God, forgive me, a sinner. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I open up my heart to you. I give it to you. I want to follow you. Fill me with your spirit so I can hear your voice, so I can have your strength to walk in your ways, because I can't do it on my own. It's that simple. Then walk with him. You might not get goosebumps. You might not, you know, get a burning in your bosom. You might not get any of those things. But it doesn't change the fact that you're saved. For the Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, thou shalt be saved. You don't have to prove it to me. You don't have to prove it to anybody around you. God proved it for you. The key is, is to trust him. The second step towards living a life of joy, Paul really addresses it here in the book of Philippians. It's the word saint. Have you ever read that before? You know, when you became born again, when you got saved, you immediately became a saint. See, some of you are so mesmerized by that right now, you could just turn to your spouse and say, I told you, I told you, I'm a saint, you know? know, But look at that In, in Philippians verse one there chapter 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the what? Saints. Saints. Saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. You don't even have to die. You don't have to do a miracle in order to become a saint. You just need to be born again. You need to come to Christ. That word saint there, in the most basic meaning, it means holy one, someone who's set apart for the purposes of of God. And it is translated, and maybe your, your translation your Bible has the word sanctification or holiness there. It's part of the same word for saint. Those who are identified with Jesus Christ by faith are given the status of, of holy, of, of sainthood. And not because of anything that we've done, because that's the difference between true sainthood and the Catholic Church. The sainthood of the Catholic Church is based upon what the saint did, right? Your sainthood and my sainthood are based upon what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. And that's far, far greater. Because, you know, our, our status there as saints, you know, our lives should reflect that reality, though. So it's not just a title that we're given. It really is about a lifestyle. Look there in First Peter. It'll come up on the screen there. First Peter 1, uh, 14 and 15. It's a challenge to us. It says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance But as he who called you as holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Yeah. To be saints. Yeah, it's the thing today. Say, I'm a saint. Say it to yourself. Just has a, there's joy in that, right? I'm a saint. I'm a saint. I'm a saint. I know some of you are really enjoying that. It's like, you hadn't heard that in a long time. You've heard a lot of things, but saint ain't, wasn't one of them, you know? And to think, but that's what God calls you, a saint. You are a saint in him. The third thing, you know, you go from sinners, you can see the progression of this, of of experiencing. And there's levels of joy. There's a depth of joy that starts off, you know, as a sinner. And you go, okay, first step, you know, become what? A saint. And then as you become a saint and you're growing in your relationship with God, we can see it right here, the progression in Philippians chapter one. The third step towards joy, you might say, is becoming a servant. You know, Jesus said, he said, the greatest amongst you are what? The servants. Yeah, there's a joy in serving, serving God and serving other people. You know, Paul would write, you know, that he and Timothy there in verse 1, what does he say? I shared with you, he said, we're bond servants, right? We're a doulos, meaning that I'm a slave by choice. I'm a slave by my own free will. Nobody makes me do this. I want to do it. I love, I'll lay there in bed sometimes, you know, tell my wife, I go, hey, I just want you to know, I choose you. I choose you. And she goes, it's because you're smart. <laughs> like, well, it is. You know. But no, it's, it's a, you know, one of the things it's not like, oh, I have to. It, it's the, the joy is that I get to, that I choose you. Because that's what Jesus did for me and you, right? But think about that. I mean, we can go, oh yeah. I mean, we, and we needed to be rescued. Amen. I mean, we needed to be rescued. I needed to be rescued. That's one of the reasons God gave me my wife. He, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll rescue you from yourself, okay? I get that. But Jesus came to rescue us all. We needed to be rescued. But he didn't do it out of pity. He did it out of love. And I think that's where you need to see that this morning. The Bible says again in John three sixteen for God what? He pitied the world, right? No. It says he loved the world. He loves you. He chose you. And that's what Jesus said. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. We respond to him in love. Why? The same way we do with people. I mean, these little kids like you because no adults do this and none of you here. I've heard of other churches, but not this group right here. I can look out and I can verify this following statement. I mean, kids, someone can say, I don't like you. What, is the, what's the, what, is the, what does a kid say? But one kid says to you, I don't like you. What's your response? Not yours, the little kid. I mean, It's not a trick question. You go, I don't like you. Right? Eye for an eye. Right? I mean, how many little kids, they go, I I don't like you. And you go, well, I just want you to know, I love you. No. Now, as adults, same thing. Somebody say, you know, I don't like you. And it's fine. I didn't like you either. You go, but to go, well, it doesn't really matter if you like me or not, but I I love you. It's like... (laughs) The Bible says we were enemies of the cross. And even while we were enemies of the cross, Jesus still went to the cross and he died for us. Would you do that for your, I mean, think about somebody that you hate. You go, I don't hate anybody. Okay, an enemy, a frenemy, okay? Used to be a friend, now they're not. Frenemy, real word. You go, and that's what Jesus did. He, he went to a cross and he died for us. You go, wow, Why? He loved us, and he did it to serve us. So, Paul here is writing to a church that he sees as co laborers, as servants alongside him. There, in, in verse 5 of Philippians 1, he says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Remember, why is he writing this book? He's looking back over his life, right? He wants to appreciate a church that ministered to him. Remember, I shared with you when you went to prison. the prison didn't provide food for you. They don't have, it's not like in the United States of America where they take taxpayer money and then provide food for people that are in prison. If you were in prison, people who were in your life or people who, you know, believers, people that had compassion for prisoners would prepare food and bring it to the prison for them. And Paul is thankful that the church there in Philippi, when he ended up in Caesarea Philippi, when he was arrested, that the church there in Philippi came, and they ministered to him. They took care of him. They provided for him. And he's thinking about that, being a servant. It's like today. You know, we have, together we can. There's no way this church could serve everybody, but everybody can serve somebody, and that's what we rejoice in. You know, every month when we started this, you know, like I said, Kimberly put together, I don't know, probably 30 some odd bags of food that the first Sunday that we did it. And now, you know, it's well over a hundred and in the thousands of pounds. And you go, and the people that are coming, you know, every staff meeting that we talk about it, they go, man, it's just a, a sweet, sweet time of coming together as a church from our children to our youth, to our young adults and our adults. And where everybody's just serving and there's joy in that because our eyes aren't on ourselves. And, you know, it's not about me it's about other people, and it's about other people who have, in the sense, nothing to give you in return. They're not even coming to the church. It's not like we're, hey, we're we'll do this because they're going to come to our church. I mean, we'd love that that they would come to our church. But that's not why you do it. That would be called what? Manipulation. That you're again, Jesus said this. He said, sinners give to sinners for what they can what? Get back in return. But when you do something expecting nothing, wow that's powerful. And that's what Paul is talking about. People who serve in that kind of capacity experience the greatest joy in this life. Because if you don't, you're doing it with a condition. And when it doesn't get met, I mean, you see people all the time, they do all this and then they they serve and then they're mad. And you're going, well, where's your joy? Well, they didn't say thank you. Was that why you did it? I mean, did you did it? Well, no, but I would appreciate you. Well, sure, it looks like that's what you wanted because now you have no joy whatsoever because they didn't do what you wanted them to do. You know, our motivation, Jesus is saying where the satisfaction comes is when it comes from within, when it expects nothing in return, but we're just doing what we should do. And that's what Paul did. That's what motivated his life. I put in big, bold notes on my page here. Self-centered people are no joy-filled people. Self-centeredness sucks the joy right out of you. And it does. You ever been selfish? You ever been selfish about something? And it just, it does. It just robs us of the joy. Takes takes away all the pleasure. That's why, you know, we'll read ahead here into Philippians chapter two. This kind of tells you where we're going. You can kind of see why this is so powerful and Paul's talking about being a servant and the beautiful picture that he has of Jesus. Look there in Philippians chapter 2, in verses 1 through 8, Paul says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And you go, why did he do that? To serve us, he sure didn't do it for himself. He did it for the glory of the Father and for our good. And so, in this text here this morning, when you look at this, and this is really where we kind of land here in verse 27 and 28, Paul turns his attention from sinners and saints and servants to really this is, you might say, is the pinnacle of joy filled living is when you and I become a soldier. And that's really who he, what he's talking about here soldiers. Look there in verse 27, 28, he says, Paul writes, he says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast. That's a key word there, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. So you can see where you get the concept of a soldier here, your adversaries. This is a a war says, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. I think this is where, I mean, really, you might say the rubber meets the road. This is where many, I'd say, well, really intending believers, this is where they lose their joy. Oh, they understand, you know, yes, the joy and salvation. Yes, they understand, you know really the joy and, and sainthood and knowing our position, you know, in Christ, they even know the joy of serving. But where, man, I mean, the, the air just gets sucked out of their life is when they get in the battle. And you might think about that in your own life. Second Timothy 2, 3, and 4, Paul writes this to Timothy. Remember, he's with Timothy. He's writing, you know, talking about Timothy here in the book of Philippians. He says, you therefore, Timothy, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, and this is the key, he says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him in whom enlisted him as a soldier. See, again, it's that God chose you. He's enlisted you as a soldier in here. So when you look at that in Philippians, we find that word conduct, and it's really an interesting word in the Greek language. It's uh, uh, politio, and it's where we get our English word politics, And, and that word conduct and the Greek refers to being a good representative of whether it's a city or a state that you're from. It's almost like similar to the word that we find ambassadors, that when you're an ambassador for a country, you don't represent yourself. You represent the person in that country that sent you here. okay? And so when Paul's talking about our conduct, you're you' think of yourself like an ambassador. It's not you don't get to choose your conduct, no matter what. You know, Mike and I were talking about a situation he had to face this last week, you know, dealing with uh, um, some, they're not, we don't call them renters. Can I say squatters from the pulpit? Is it okay to say squatters? the People that just go take over a house when, you know, no one's living in there and it's a uh, fleas ants, home and down in Riverside and uh, they've taken over this house and they're living in it. And so Mike tried to work a deal with, be really nice with them and talk to them and say, Hey, can you know, you guys like when the realtor. Wants to show the house to somebody potentially who has money. Wants to buy it. Could you guys that are just living in the house, without permission, could you let them in and so they can at least see the house? Because most people won't buy a piece of property without what, seeing it, right? So of course the landlord, you know, no, not landlord, but the realtor calls and tries to get in, Mike tries to get in touch with the people that are living in the house. Guess what? They don't answer the phone. They don't want to be bothered. They don't want to show the house. It's not convenient. So you go down there. So you have to have a conversation, right? So Mike's telling me about it. And he's like, you know, um, I'm having to like, there's a part of me that just wants to go in and just go, all the stuff that's here needs to go outside. And you need to go outside. And then you go, um, and then he goes, in my former life, it had been really, really easy. And he goes, but in my new life, you know, in Jesus, you know, I can't go there. And that's the war. <laughs> it starts off as what? It's a battle in our mind, right? First, but it can get, and it can go right out into the physical realm there. But that, that's what we're talking about. There is a, we are in a constant battle. Do I, do I get to represent myself? And you go, oh, and that feels so good. I mean, and, and maybe without a show of hands, maybe there's been times when you've actually let that out from the old self. And you went, oh, that felt pretty good. <laughs> you didn't, the Bible doesn't say sin's not pleasurable, but it's only pleasurable for how long? A brief, brief moment. And then when you're going to jail, it's not as pleasant. You have to think back and you go, oh, was it really worth it? And sometimes people to try to make them themselves, so, oh, it was worth it. And you go, no, it's never, it's never, never worth it. We need to remember that we're citizens of heaven, right? Remember when Jesus was arrested in the garden? And they were taking him away. Remember, they all wanted to fight. Peter lops off, you know, the guy's ear. And Jesus said, if my kingdom was of this world, he said, what would my disciples do? They'd fight. This kingdom is not of this world. And that's why we don't. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. But that's the battle. And this is where a lot of people lose it reading ahead again, just to give you some things to look at in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 20, Paul, there he says, remember, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he's able to subdue all things to himself. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, look what he says, my joy and my crown, stand fast, in the Lord beloved. He's reminding me again, that word stand fast, you know, one of the things I love getting to babysit, you know, my grandkids, the, they'll all be over, you know, playing sometimes, and they'll go to a door, and they'll try to slam the door on the other one, you ever do that, you know, to your, your relatives, and what are they, what are they doing, and they're on one side of the door, and they can't get it closed, right, and so they're pushing on the door. Now, do they just stand like this, and push on the door? They go, no, you'll see them. And they they it's funny how they do it. Even they get back, right? They they get their leg and they plant their foot back and they're pushing and they're yelling at each other, come on, help me. And they're all there and they got their hands out. And you go, This is kind of that's the thing that you got to look at. That's that's what Paul's doing. He's going, This is how you gotta, this is your stand. You're not just standing there going, take a stand. I'm taking a stand for God. No, it's like you're you're in the stance. It's like somebody's gonna come and try to run you over, and you're just gonna you're gonna get in a position to try to absorb the blow and not get, you know, blown away by it. And that's exactly what Paul is exhorting us to do is take a stand. And he says there in verse 27, he says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so I look at that and I go, how do soldiers then, you know, from saint or sinner to saint, to servant, to soldier, and you go, how, how do soldiers, find joy in the battle. Because I think that's where, like I said, I think that's where it's really the fork in the road for many believers. You're in the fight and you go, that's where I lost it. And you're thinking in your own life, you can go back through battles and you go, that's where I lost my joy, was in the battle. How do soldiers keep their joy in the midst of the battle? And it's like, it just comes off the pages to you here. They're consistent in their conduct. Think about it. They're consistent. They don't leave their post. And they do what? Man, they just, they hold on to their position there. I mean, it is getting harder and harder to live the Christian life, isn't it? You think about it in, in this world, in this world sense. I mean, there's a target on our back. The, the world's becoming more and more hostile, openly hostile to Christians. And you look at the apostle Paul. And he says this about himself, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He talks about, you know, the fake and the false versus the real and the true minister. He says, are they ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool. He says, I am the more. He said, in labors more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently in deaths often. He says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes. He's talking about his ministry. Minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And he's not talking about California type stone. He's just talking about actual rocks here, okay? It says, Three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night I've been in the deep, and journeys often, and perils of water, and perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, and the perils of the Gentiles, and the perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils amongst false brethren, and the weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness. Besides all the other things, what has come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Wow. I mean, no one, you know, told Paul, hey, when you get saved, everything just gets really nice and everybody just, you know, gets along. He's like, no, this is what happens. There's a target on your back. You, when you got saved, you entered into a war. Well, or just to say this, your eyes were opened because you were born, when you were born into this world to be, in the truest sense, you were born behind enemy lines, weren't you? We're born into a fallen world, right? Jesus is coming back to restore it. But we're behind enemy lines today. And all of a sudden, our eyes are open to that. And what did Paul do? He's going, (laughs) you want joy? You got to live consistently. Your conduct has to be consistent. Because it's not like this, you know, that one day it's up, one day it's down. James says that, you know, a double-minded person is unstable. It's consistent. It's making that stand. And it's not that you do it on your own. God isn't demanding perfection. He was perfect. We're not. But yes, consistency in our life. You think about that. He wasn't what we would say. Was was Paul a Sunday Christian? No, he was was in it every day of the week. In and out of season, as he would say. And what was his mission? He never lost sight of it. The gospel. That's what he says. My greatest pain, my greatest concern, he says, is for all the churches. You don't don't lose sight of that because it's so easy for the world to distract us from why we're here and why we're saved. And that's to reach people for him. That's to encourage people who are in him. Like Paul said, I don't look at any man according to the flesh any longer. You're either a Christian, and if you're a Christian, my job is to build you up and to strengthen you. If you're not a Christian, my job is to point you to Jesus Christ that you could be saved. Now, like I said, it doesn't matter then where you work or what you do, that's our job. No matter where we work, we all have the same mission in this life. The vision as to how we accomplish that, that's different from person to person, but the mission is the same. is to point people to Jesus and to build them up in him. No matter what place you work, no matter where you work, and that's the struggle that people have, they go, uh, I'm all by myself. Well, you're all by yourself until you lead other people to Jesus, and there's two of you, and then if the two of you reach somebody else, there's three of you, and then, you know, after a while, that's, isn't that what happened in the apostle Paul's life? They kept chaining. Remember, they they rotated prisoners every six hours, right? So he got in a 24-hour period because he was he was shackled to somebody 24 hours a day. So he gets, you know, six times four. You know, you go, is what, 24? You go, but there's seven days in a week. You go, so seven times four is what, 28? I mean, imagine 28 fresh bodies, you know, every week that you're leading to Jesus and they can't get away from you. Like I said, who is the prisoner, Paul or them? <laughs> They're going please don't make me. I don't want to sit next to Paul. And no they really did. they love they love sitting next to him because he was doing his job. It doesn't matter where you're at, it doesn't matter what your job is in the sense of your earthly job, we have a job to share Jesus with other people. And so when you think about the things that we go through you know in this life, living a life of consistent conduct, just remembering, you know, that we are ambassadors. We're pilgrims passing through. Our job isn't going to change no matter where we work on this planet. The second thing that we see, you know, in a soldier's you know, life, these soldiers that really find you know, joy in the battle is they stand firm in unity. They, they don't let people come between them. And that's one of the things. What is... What is the Bible tells us about the the devil himself, says he's the accuser of the brethren, right? What does he want? Larry just shared that, you know, in, in worship, Psalm 133. You think about in Psalm 133, it says this, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing of life evermore. So what does that tell us? Where there's unity, God commands his blessings. You know. so what should we be doing? We should be doing everything to endeavor to keep the unity of the faith. You think think of that acrostic for team. Together, everyone achieves more. That, that word striving, it's interesting. It's a Greek word. It's sunletheo. And it means together. And then it means, uh, there's the prefix there. And then athleo, that's where we get the term athletic. or it's, So you could say that Paul's looking at it as like we're an athletic team. You know, he would write that in Corinthians, right? 1 Corinthians 12, for in fact, the body is not one member. It's many, but though it's many, it's one. We're a team. What's your role? What's your place? You know, don't turn your sword on, on your teammate. Turn your sword on the enemy. You know, and there, there's too much sword fighting going on in the church where it should be that we're directing our swords outwardly. There's unity and diversity, and there's diversity and unity. We're the same, but we're different. I like that old saying. It says, you know, if you can find two people who agree on everything, one of them's not thinking. You know, you might not agree with me on, you know, my view on eschatology or, you know, end times. And there's some of you that don't agree with me on, you know, my position on spiritual gifts. And I'm totally okay with that. You know, I always give everybody the right to be wrong. You know, that's... I I can still love you. It doesn't impact me at all. You know, it was was Augustine who said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, what? Charity. Yeah, that we would just practice that, practicing unity. But what happens, people get bugged about stuff, and as soon as they do, you know, and sometimes it's the sweetest people. Like somebody will say, man, I thought, man, I thought they were really sweet. Well, they were sweet when I'm talking to them, but as soon as they get their feathers ruffled about something, it's like, you know, just, you know, oh, and you go, I get that when we lose sight. When we lose sight that this is a battle. But may we fulfill Jesus' prayer for us. John 17, 21, he says, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. That was his prayer. He prayed that for me. prayed that for you. Paul would write something very similar in Philippians 2, 2. He says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. He's not talking about uniformity. He's not talking about unanimity, but he's talking about unity. You know, a lot of times, you know, people really mistake, you know, what unity is from what it isn't. Unity isn't unanimity. You know, if you're a note taker, you might write this down. Unanimity means everybody thinks alike. Uniformity means everybody does everything alike. And God hasn't called us to either one of those things. He's called us to unity. Unity is harmony. He just says, you know what? I don't necessarily agree, but you know what? I'm not going to let that come between us. We don't have to agree to have unity. We just agree that God is good. And one day he's going to sort it out. And the last thing, you know, when I look at this, it's pretty fascinating you know, as we look at Paul's life and we think about the church, you know, the last point you know I'd want to make, where soldiers, you know, how do they find joy in the midst of their battles? And maybe one of the biggest things is they exemplify courage. Courage. What do I mean by courage? Look at verse 28 there. It says, it says, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. You know, in the New Living Translation, it puts it like this, don't be intimidated by your enemies. So you're saying, what? Don't let, don't let your enemies scare you. Remember, Paul's writing in prison and where's he getting ready to go? He's gonna stand before Caesar Nero. He's not scared at all. He actually called for that. He wanted to stand before Caesar so that he could testify of Jesus. That, that is so, so amazing. That word, you know, intimidated. In antiquity, it was used to describe a horse that uh, uh, couldn't go into battle. They would say that the horse was battle shy. You know, it's like if, uh, if you have ever had hunting dogs. I, I grew up, all I've ever had was labs, Labrador Retrievers, and none of them ever had to be hunting dogs. And one dog I got was one of my favorite dogs. He was going to be raised to be a hunting dog. But when they shot a gun off, he thought it was a track meet. So, you know, instead of sitting by his owner when they'd shoot the bird, they'd shoot, he'd shoot the gun and the dog would be about a mile and a half away. So he wasn't, you know, he, he didn't really turn out that well. But he made a great, great pet. And Paul's just saying, you know what, you, 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 can't, you can't be battle shy, you know, as a Christian. Man, the, the, the gun is going to go off but it's learning to to stand firm. It goes back to standing firm. And the best way you can do that is if you're standing firm with other people because sometimes you might want to run, but if your arms are locked around somebody else, you've been hooked up to somebody else and not been able to get away when you even wanted to. My wife could tell you a wonderful story about when we went to Hawaii and uh, it was just my wife and I and we were snorkeling out there and, and they had a sign on the beach that said, you know, when you see these certain sea animals and urchins and stuff, you know, to really be, you know, aware of it. And one of them was an eel, right? Like a, some kind of eel, like that has like teeth and could like rip your face off. And so, you know, we're, we're swimming along, we're snorkeling and and, uh, I'm in front of her and she's right behind me. And, and all of a sudden this eel comes right out of this rock, like in a movie, right? And it goes out and it goes like this, like that. Well, Peter's not the only one who walked on water. I will confess, I will confess, I will confess I had fins on that made it easier for me. Okay. And, uh, I mean, I was out of there and my wife was behind me and she's like still swimming. And all of a sudden it's right, like right in her face. And so she's, and she comes back. Well, she's mad at me. She says, why didn't you, why didn't you tell me there was an eel there? And I said, Hey, at that point I go this is every man for himself. <laughs> I confess I'm a coward. But it was it was a conversation that you know, we had. I didn't have courage in that moment, I can tell you that. Failed miserably, you know, on that one. Now, you know what? I'd hope that, you know, I'd stay in there and take the eel bite on my face for so that she could go away and live happily ever after, you know. But, yeah, it's just one of those things. You know, he's going, just stay, stay in there. Stay, no matter what happens. No matter what happens. Can one person make a difference? Yeah, they they can. And that one person... You and I look at, you know, is the cross. And maybe the most difficult thing, I just want to close with this. When you think about where soldiers find joy, and this this is when you know you've reached the pinnacle of your faith. Number four, I'd say, is shared suffering. Verses 29 and 30, it says, For to you it's been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So you don't get one without the other is what Paul's saying. It's interesting. God's granted us both to believe and to suffer. That's what Paul would write Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. See that word granted there? It comes from the, the word grace. And the same grace that allowed you to believe is the same grace that will allow you to suffer. You could put it this way. If God leads you to it, will he see you through it? Yeah. That same grace that saved you is the same grace that will get you through any suffering that you might have to endure in this lifetime. I appreciate this quote I read this week when I was studying. It said, we enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we come to know him intimately in the valleys below and that's really true because it's in the valleys where we really learn to trust god there's a lot of things that you know suffering will do and you think about this from a maturity standpoint you know mature you know as you mature in your relationship with god and you can still have joy because suffering does what i mean it'll it'll cause you to long for heaven when you're hurting and I and i've had this pleasure of praying and being with people in their last moments of life and they're not Living in fear, they're living by faith and they're looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face. And they'll go, Pastor Mike, I'm tired. I'm tired of the pain that they're going through. And they go, I'm looking forward to being home, looking to being home with the Lord. The second thing that it does, and we don't like this per se, but it produces patience. Suffering produces patience. You know, when you need patience, I mean, you'd love to be able to ask God, God, give me patience. You ever prayed that before? And what did he do? He thrusts you into a very unpleasant situation where you learn to trust him, right? That's what happens. And maybe the most important thing, what it does, because remember, this is about ministry, it's about ministering to people. It's about reaching the lost. It's about building up those who are in the faith. Like I said, you know, I've told you this many times before. You know, People will you know, appreciate your accomplishments, but they'll relate to you in your pain. That's why Paul would write, you know, we comfort one another with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God. And when God has comforted you, he gives you the ability to comfort other people. And that comfort that you provide for them isn't your comfort. It's to be able to tell them, hey, you know, when I was in your p- position, I-, I found my comfort in turning to God. I found comfort in the fact that that he's always there. Things as we started the service, you know, with today. And I pray that that's, that works for you as it does for me. But you look at that, and I just encourage you to go back through this and think through these things today. The progression of joy in our life as God moves us from from sinner to soldier, and like I said, but I think it's in the place of really that that last place of moving from servant to soldier, where so many of us get you know really really off track and distracted and lose sight of the Lord. And sometimes maybe it's because we just become battle shy, you know, that we're just you know we're, we become fearful in those those moments. But faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word. It's just staying in there, stay in the word, stay with God. And if he leads you to it, he'll get you through it. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this book. Uh, Like I said, it's, I know one of mine and I, I pray that it becomes one of all of ours, our favorite books as we study it together. We just thank you for your love in our life. Thank you for the joy that you provide or that it is not discovered by direct pursuit. It's discovered as we just enjoy our relationship with you. And so have your way with us. And I pray again, even as we go, that whether it's people that are in the sanctuary or online, if they have yet to receive you as Savior and Lord, that God, they wouldn't let this day go, that they would know that joy, that joy that comes from repenting of our sin, that that weight that so easily entangles us and set them free today to run with endurance, the race that's set before them, looking to Jesus today. We love you. We bless you. We praise you as we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, be blessed as you go. If you need prayer for anything today, we would love to pray with you. Don't hurry on out of here. And again, just know today, 4 to 5 p.m., we've got together we can right back here. We'd love to have you here and uh, be blessed as you go.
1: Test? Okay. Mikey thought he was going to get away. What does that sound like right there? We're going to sing happy birthday to our pastor, but he has to come up here. Everybody else has to come up. So he's 85, doesn't look a day over. She doesn't look a day over seventy-five. All right. <laughs> How old are, are you? But I I don't know which birth Lee. He'll lie to me. Sixty what? Sixty-one. You're still young. Yes. Well, we so appreciate our pastor. He has uh, been so faithful and and so let's sing him, in this key, not five different keys. Let's sing this key. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Mikey. Pastor Mike. Happy Happy birthday to you. (laughs) Well, We're going to go ahead and release you guys. We're going to sing this last song. uh, Some of you need to pick up kids, uh, but uh, we'll sing this last song. Stay with us if you can. His hands of kindness Welcome us home Come to the arms of grace